Hello, everybody, and welcome to the UNT Mind Spark podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Johnson, and joining me today is going to be Tasker from Epic over at Boston University. How are you doing today, Tasker? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So let's start off with tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Tasker Smith. I'm um, I am a shop manager at the Engineering Product Innovation Center at Boston University. I have been so for about six months now. Uh, prior to that, I came from um, MIT, where I worked in a uh, in another engineering facility. Um, but together, uh, I've been in um, engineering education for about I'd say about ten years or so. Uh, prior to that, I worked in the um, innovation space, working for a product engineering uh, and innovation facility in Boston, uh, working as a mechanical prototyping specialist. So I always love working with my hands. Um, I wouldn't say I'm new to education, but this is kind of a late and career move for me, but I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. And uh, Epic has been a total, total blast. That's good to hear. And while we're on the topic, can you give us a synopsis about Epic and how it all got started? Sure. So, um, so Epic at uh, Boston University uh, was founded in 2014. Um, we are a 15,000 square foot facility um, is sort of how it's celebrated. Um, there are, uh, and that includes uh, design studios, it just includes uh, a, a large space for machine tools, both traditional and CNC machinery. We have a, um, an automation design and manufacturing lab that's part of that. So a lot of people learning uh, fundamentals about robotics and how to manipulate parts and materials and vision systems. Mm -hmm. um, that's a little outside of my wheelhouse, but I'm always amazed when I walk by that area. Uh, we also have a foundry and a welding space. Uh, but if I could if I could sort of frame it in a high level view, I would say that um, our mission is really we're engineering focused, but we're really open to all of Boston University. And um, the way I like to think about it is that we are our mission is to kind of showcase all the technology that um, our students will use as professional engineers. We show them what the tools are. Um, we give them projects to sort of help use the tools and understand how to use them. And um, and as they develop sort of some sensibility about how to use them they can learn how to use them um uh sort of um efficiently and like be creative about how you use them together so they can be like really prolific and, and it kind of advances their work okay so um i guess the, the other thing i'd say is that um so some of the work we do is curricular meaning that it's kind of integrated in classwork so mm -hmm. someone taking um an engineering class might have a project in our space but we also support um uh, research. We support personal projects. We support club projects. So we like to say that we're really open to everybody. Um, but it is with a. Um, I guess I say that we have an engineering. You know, we have engineering is kind of in the name, but really our our intent is to be um, a resource for all of Boston University. Oh, absolutely. That's why I think um, Epic and over here at the Spark Makerspace. That's why I think we have a lot in common because mm -hmm. our main thing is giving people access to stuff they have no access to. Like we have CNC machines, laser cutters, et cetera. And it's always fun. Yeah. I mean, and really the great challenge is we have a lot of people that, um, I mean, if you ever get a chance to see our facility, I don't know if there'll be um, pictures associated with our podcast, but it is. Um, so what's a little bit, un, like I said, I don't know if this is really unusual about it, but um, what's wonderful about it, I would say is we're, we're in a, we're on ground floor. So oftentimes machine shops are kind of tucked away like in hard to find places without mm. a lot of windows. Ours is anything but that. We've got windows that wrap around the space, floor to ceiling. It's a, it's a gorgeous facility. And one of the things I love about it is, um, I mean, I'm of course 
biased because I, I love engineering and I like working with my hands and I sort of an advocate for how important it is to build things as part of your process. Mm -hmm. But um, I feel like um, when the lab was founded, it really kind of elevated that work in such a way, uh, like it kind of expresses how important that is to really like doing great work is to, uh, part of it is the building part, part of it is prototyping, part of it is manufacturing, but um, but really just elevating that um, from where it had been and where it is, is I would say conventionally finds itself is is really great. So, Absolutely. Oh, I guess, uh, sorry, I got a little off track there, but one thing I want to say is that, you know, people will see our lab by walking down the street and they look in and they see all of these different like technologies and they think, wow, that looks amazing. Mm -hmm. But how could I ever use a space like that? So I, I don't know if you encountered this as well, but part of our challenge is to say, you know, yes, we want to show you this technology, but we also need some entry points so that you feel um, you feel welcome. Mm -hmm. that you feel like you have like a, a place, like a starting point. Um, you know, for some people will come in here with some skills and others will come in with, you know, you know, very few, mm -hmm. you know, not even knowing sort of the names of different, you know, we sort of joke about, you know, not knowing the right end of the screwdriver to hold. <laughs> That's an exaggeration, but um, mm -hmm. just the idea that, you know, some people really come to this with um, different kinds of skill sets, but with a, an interest in the technology. And so our challenge is really to make it um, approachable, make people feel welcome and try to find a way to kind of help them along their path. You know, I like to say that we're all, you know, we're all sort of learning, like my, my team included, um, you know, I, I think with any one of these technologies, you could spend your life uh, devoting uh, yourself to mastery. And um, the truth of it is that we're really not here to um, to train professional machinists or to train people. Like the people that we're training are going to be using these things and they're going to be working with other teams that are going to actually be operating the equipment. Mm -hmm. But our mission is to show them, like, how does it work and what do you need to know about this so that you can communicate um with the teams that you're working with so that you can make, you know, uh, thoughtful and smart design decisions that are going to have, um, you know, they're going to influence, you know, the speed at which you can make things, but also the cost associated with them, you know, all these things kind of roll together into making kind of thought and um, sort of smart and thoughtful design choices. Mm -hmm. So, so it's kind of ties together, but there, there, there are many challenges that we have, but, um, but uh, it's, it all starts with having um, what I love about it is we all start with having like this beautiful facility the great team of talented, um, uh, you know, sort of lab supervisors that are whose mission is to really be welcoming, invite people in, sort of get mm -hmm. them rolling up the projects. So absolutely, yeah, you touched on it a little bit, but we definitely have a similar issue where we want people to come in, we want people to use our equipment, but seeing all of this expensive and like what you may think is hard to use equipment. Most of the time that really kind of pushes people off, even though we are located on the first floor of the library. Mm. Yeah, I think I think one thing that's challenging, and this is a little bit unique to Boston University also, but um, the way that I was sort of taught, I mean, I, I sort of grew up with hand tools in my home. My dad liked to tinker around things a lot. And uh, so we had, um, I'd say we have a, a variety of hand tools and some sort of light power tools, which I think mm. is pretty relatively common. Um but traditionally, you think that that's sort of the way you learn, right? So you start with, you know, maybe, you know, hand tools, and then you get into some sort of light uh, hand saws, you know, drills, and then some sort of light power tools. And then you might sort of elevate to like a bandsaw and a drill press and a sander. Mm -hmm. and then from there, maybe you would have exposure to a milling machine or a lathe, you know, so you're, you're going up this sort of the scaffolded approach to learning these things. And then you don't, typically, you wouldn't get into like CNC, um, which for anyone that doesn't know this, uh, People that don't describe acronyms drive me bananas. So I'll, <laughs> people probably know this, but I, you know, so computer numerically controlled machines, mm 
um, seem like, you know, sort of sophisticated and one side of the spectrum, whereas learning to build things with your hands is on the other. Um, one thing that's unique about um, BU is that some, for some of these things, like with the coursework that we do, I think some of the first exposure that students get to our um, computer controlled equipment is like, that's the first tools that they see, mm -hmm. which is, which is unusual. And I'm not sure that that is the right or best way, but that, I was, I was struck when I got here that that is, is true. Um, and, and really kind of the mission is like, we're trying to expose people at every phase of their education so that they can really sort of start to learn and have exposure to all these things. Um, and it's, it's hard to choreograph that, you know, explicitly for every single student in the, in the same way. But, um, mm -hmm. I, just, I just find that, I find that it's interesting. I mean, part of the challenge is you want people to feel like engaged and interested. And for some like CNC, it, it performs that function, right? Like you're, You've designed this thing. Uh, I'll describe like it's one class that we we host. Um, we have students will do their first parametric solid in that class, and so they'll mm. design this part, and then our team will program it, and then we choreograph the um, the machining of this thing such that a student can like stand in front of the machine and watch this part being machined. And mm. there's 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 some magic to that, you know. So you've designed, you know, you've envisioned this thing. You had a uh, you know a hand sketch, you know. Then your first exposure to CAD computer aided design, you know, you're drawing this thing and you create this artifact, which is now virtual and kind of interesting. You can scale it, you can duplicate it, you know, all the all the benefits of of digital design. Mm -hmm. You hand it to a team that's then like we have this machine that's now crafting it by carving it out of a solid piece of material. Like there's something awesome about that. So um, so I don't mean to diminish that is like maybe that is the right entry point for some people. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, this is, this is our great challenge, right? It's, it's trying to um, meet each student where they are, figure out like, what is it that they, um, you know, how can we support them in their in their education? And um, yeah, I don't know. It's part of what's interesting and fun about this work is uh, is you just run to all different kinds of people with different kinds of experience and different kinds of projects and interests and goals. And, you know, how do we um, provide a platform for all of them to kind of to develop and to grow um, and to have fun? Right. So. Absolutely. So while we're on the topic of uh, students, can you tell me about the procedures for how people would go about using the Epic space? Yeah. So we have a pretty low barrier to entry. And that is we have a um, we have a, uh, a safety video that is pretty brief. I'd say it's, you know, three or four minutes long. And as part of that, we have a series of questions that are integrated into that video. And um, the intent is to is to familiarize people with all of our sort of safety protocols. So mm. about you know personal protective equipment, um, you know, no phones, you know, restraining long hair, no rings, you know. So all the things that are kind of basic safety um, guidelines that are probably true for every every facility. And um, having done so, they so they uh, they watch the video, they fill out this quiz, and the quiz they need to get 100% on it so that it it sort of signals that they understand all of our rules. Mm -hmm. Once they've done so, they submit this and um, through a through a Google form, and then we then have um, have a database of all the people who have uh, completed the this form successfully, and that ties into a uh, kind of a swiping station that we have at the front of the facility. So um, someone goes through this, you know, say let's call it a ten minute exercise. They're just familiarizing themselves with the rules, you know, filling out a form to indicate that they understand them. And then uh, they can then swipe in and have access to our facility. Mm -hmm. And then um, so that's kind of the, the the low barrier of entry that we have. And then uh, we have a team. Actually, can I tell you this is a good time to talk about the structure of our of our team? Yeah, that'd be perfect. Can I mention that we have a um, so we have uh, really a full time 
team of six. It's really more five, but I'll include a director of the lab who's a member of the faculty. Um, it's number six. Uh, but we have a team of, uh, of so I'm, I'm the shop manager. Um, I have a team of four lab supervisors, each of whom has kind of a different area of expertise. And then we have um, we have a team of lab assistants who are undergraduates, some are graduate students, but these are all sort of students at Boston University that kind of help us to run the facility. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I mention them is that um, often the first interaction that students or people that come in to use the facility will have is with one of our lab assistants. And, um, you know, so they're, they are, they all have different skill sets as well. And so um the way I like to frame it is that, you know, their job is really to help people along their project. And so if somebody comes in and asks them um, so if they have a very technical project on, say, a milling machine, and they don't have enough experience to really um, guide someone in the ways they need to be guided, their mission is to say, like, um, to help them along. So, hey, let me get you set up at a machine. Let me grab one of our staff members, and then let's learn together, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like we're trying to cultivate this culture of it's not bad to not know something. Um, you just need to sort of be honest about it and um, and we'll give you support you need to sort of um, execute your project safely. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, so we, we try we try to have it sort of a low barrier to entry. And then um, I know that there are different philosophies about, you know, some some places will have, uh, have students take like a, a class or a safety class specific, like a machine tool mm -hmm. specific class in order to do so. We don't do that. I mean, I think that's a, that is a, it's a great idea if you have the time and inclination to do it, um, but it's also it is a huge barrier. And for some people that come need to come in and drill a hole, sometimes it's sufficient for them to have, you know, they have uh, one of our lab assistants or kind of one of our industry pros just walk them through the process. We can explain it to them a little bit. They get their their feature manufactured. They get the exposure that we're hoping that they're going to get. But it's also like sort of minimal barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, we here at the Spark definitely have kind of a higher barrier because mm -hmm. we are in the sense of having each individual piece of equipment kind of have its own training. Mm -hmm. Albeit we do lump uh, power tools and hand tools into one. So rather than having to do training for like a Sawzall, you know, hammer, screwdriver, all that type of stuff, it's all just one kind of lump. So we're mm -hmm. not as stringent as we could be technically, but we are slightly more. Right. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, and there are a lot of, like I said, there are different philosophies uh, about that. I know that um, when I was working at MIT, we had a sort of a two, it's like a two and a half day mill and lathe training um, project that students would work on. And they ended up, so it used to be that that was not a requirement for taking their robot building class that we hosted, but mm -hmm. they evolved it into a requirement. I think it's a great idea. Um, but I mean, ultimately, like is is uh, having been one of the technical instructors that kind of oversaw the lab and sort of needed to keep people safe. Mm. Uh, the difference between having, um, in my opinion, you know, so the difference between having sort of a light amount of experience and you know having two days of experience versus having no experience is not, you know, that's not like worlds of experience different. Right. right. I mean, I mean, the, um, of course, you want people to use these tools safely, and of course, uh, you know, if it's your first time, then we're not going to sort of set you up and walk away. Mm. But. Um, just from, from being a technical instructor, like our mission is like we're we're assuming that everybody there needs to have oversight and that we're we're there for sure, scouring the area looking for um, areas that you know people may not yeah and I I said say we're our mission of course is to keep people safe like that's the top priority every day like mm -hmm. you know it's for every every waking moment we're there like that's that's the uh, foremost priority but um but uh, how we introduce people to tools and how we keep them safe is uh, 
is, uh, yeah, anyway, it's an interesting topic. And I, I think we probably manage it a little differently than some places, but mm. I don't think there's any, any wrong way. Yeah, no, absolutely not. There are all different ways, all with their pros, all with their cons. Yeah. But I'm always, I mean, that said, I mean, I, I, uh, I always love hearing how people do it differently. So mm. the, um, so what, what's been interesting for me at, at, at BU is that it's been, uh, it's been a little different than MIT. And so I've been trying to, rather than, uh, trying to withhold judgment for my first sort of year through, so I can try to understand all of the um, all of the kind of the protocols and the systems they have in place, and mm -hmm. and trying to like learn what I can. I've sort of been surprised in certain ways, like I was describing the um, use of the CNC mill. That was surprising to me. That would be the first exposure that someone would have to machining, because I was trained traditionally that you would sort of work your way up sort of through um, you know kind of this hierarchy of tools, but. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of, I, I was sort of surprised and, and really curious about how some of that was, was really um, um, kind of profoundly meaningful to students. And so, uh, I don't know, it makes me, makes me feel like, Hey, maybe I should, I should, uh, I should be open to it and I'll see, see where we land at the end of this year. Yeah, but. absolutely. So now let's move on to a bit more about you. What did it feel like when you first started working at Epic? Ah, this is a great question. I, I had a little bit of a runway. So, um, I was grateful that BU gave me an opportunity to wind down my time at MIT because it, it really offered me a chance to to leave my team in good shape there to really kind of close down all of my systems to fully document everything and, and not feel like I was leaving um, my team in the lurch there. So I had some time to kind of prepare for BU. So I was excited about that. Mm -hmm. um, I would say like right out of the gate, I just I just loved it. It's such a beautiful facility. The team there is really was welcoming and, and wonderful. Um, so. Uh, it's been awesome. I guess what's what's been a little bit uh, I guess I'd say is uh, it's not even intimidating really, but you know I, I've used all these kinds of tools before, but just not in their form. Mm -hmm. This is so. For example, I, I work professionally running a you know a Haas three-axis um, milling machine for you know twelve years at my mm -hmm. former employer, uh, and then at MIT at uh, MIT I didn't use one during my whole time there, and so coming over to Boston University, all of a sudden they have a you know tools that I'm familiar with, but I haven't used them in a while. So it's the case that a lot of these tools are tools that I've used and was have developed some level of mastery with, but um, haven't used them, those specific tools. Mm -hmm. So uh, so that for me was like kind of interesting. Um, you know, and a lot of, they have a lot of uh, Fanuc controllers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but we have all these sharp milling machines, which is kind of like a different, whole different language. And so it was, uh, it's kind of exciting sort of thinking that I get to learn all these new tools, which is something that I love to do, but also a little bit, I don't know, it's a slightly daunting, I guess, if I'm being honest, just because there's so much that's, that was new about it, but right. um, also kind of exciting opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but that was true, not only with the machine tools, but also all of the embedded systems. So just like the um, administrative systems and um, it, was, it was, it took me like a month and a half to get my Dropbox set up, my email set up, my um, Google accounts all set. Like we have like all these systems that were like doing the same things as what the ones that I'd used before, but they're all completely different. And so just getting all of that organized was, was more work than I would care to admit, but, um, but, uh, but it's awesome. Like it's right out of the gate. I just really great. Um, just a broad set of um, technologies they have there that, that I didn't have access to at MIT, which are great. So like, you know, we have a foundry in our facility, which is like really fun. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a welding facility, which we did have at MIT, but I didn't have a lot of exposure to it. Um, just this whole automation design lab is, is really interesting. So um, 
I, I guess the one I shouldn't describe this as a complaint, but I guess the one experience I have is it feels a little bit I feel a little bit like a um, orchestra conductor that doesn't have any time to play an instrument. Like mm. I'm so busy like developing these systems and supporting my team and trying to uh, organize and orchestrate uh, these class experience for students that I don't actually have as much time to be on the tools as I might like. Mm. But um, but uh, it is it is great. I will say that one thing that has been useful about that is that I feel like I'm seeing these tools from the perspective of students that haven't used them before. Mm-hmm. Like even though I have, you know, I may have, you know, 20 years of experience using CNC mills, but this one's brand new to me. And so right. like not knowing where any of the buttons are, not knowing like sequence of, of commands. Like I know what I want to do with it, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to execute on the controller. That, that's been really useful just as that we think about the, um, like the tools that we develop for students. Um, one of my big missions early on was, was to develop a lot of these quick start guides so that um, not only could I use that as a template for explaining it to someone else, but then if I walk away from it for six months and I come back to it, I have this this guide. You know? right. So we right out of the gate, we were developing a bunch of those like for our water jet um, cutter, for our laser cutters, mm-hmm. for our milling machines, for um, these different technologies. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been awesome. It's, it's a really cool facility. That's great. Uh, so what is... Uh one of the things that you love most about Epic? Oh boy, there are many things to love about it. I, I think it's really, um, I think it's probably the variety of tools that are there. I mean, mm. we have everything. Um, it, it really is pretty astounding. So uh, I mean, just in the, the digital suite of tools, just having a laser cutter, a water jet cutter, you know, CNC milling machines, CNC lathe, we've got a, a wire EDM, which stands for electric discharge machine, works mm. a little bit like an electric uh, Bandsoft, you haven't used one of those before. Mm-hmm. Um, all the automation equipment um, we have, uh, you know, so the sheet metal area. We've got, you know, it's just this this broad spectrum of things. You know, I, I, and one way that I often think about these things is, um, you know, I, trying to evaluate. You know, am I, did I land in the right place? You know, I often think like, you know, well, if I was independently wealthy and I, you know, was setting up my own shop, what would it look like? And it's right wouldn't be a lot different than this you know it's just like this beautiful array of 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 machines huge ceilings big windows uh tons of open tables um well-organized tools you know uh, a team of people that are um both very kind of like open and and incredibly knowledgeable but also like love to build things also right so it's, it's like the it's fantastic mm. And so now as a counterpoint to that, what's one of your biggest frustrations at Epic? Yeah, I'd say that, I mean, the biggest challenge is that the, um, we have a pretty huge uh, student population. I was looking this up to try to refresh my memory, but um, uh, so we have something like 150 full-time faculty in the engineering program Mm -hmm. and somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 engineering students. Uh, in this fall, somehow, or I'm sorry, in the springtime, um, this is partly probably a byproduct of COVID, but we have a huge influx of students coming in. And mm-hmm. so the challenge is, uh, you know, with more, I mean, at the end of the day, we have a limited capacity to our facility, you know, partly because we're trying to keep people safe, but also just we only have so many machines. And right. um, the challenge is how do you create like a meaningful experience for someone that wants to learn how to use a tool and we don't have a lot of time to do that. So I would describe that as a frustration just um, just because I feel like it's a, um, something it's a code we haven't quite or i haven't quite cracked yet personally mm-hmm. um it's not hard to get numbers of people through there but to actually have them you know create activities and have um projects that they can work on so that they feel like they're really like kind of getting their hands 
dirty and you know i feel like when you're when you're learning these things you need to turn the knobs you need to like mm-hmm. see these things in action you want to smell like you know see the smoke coming off i mean you don't want to see a lot of smoke right you know you want to see like that you know you want to smell this the, you know the cutting fluid you know you want to feel the machine vibrating like you want to have this experience of like i'm using this tool i'm using my hands to turn these knobs and like form this material i mean that to me is like the most awesome part of learning how to use the machine tool absolutely so, um, so this is our great challenge, right? So how do we how do we scale that? How do we take like a really great education and then just scale it so that a lot of people can experience it? Mm. Um, so we are we're going to be learning about that in the new year with a huge influx of students. Yeah, so we'll have to follow up on that and catch me in six months and I'll tell you what we learned about it. <laughs> uh, so my next question for you is: um, what is there, what is one of the resources that you use most often? This can either be while at Epic or whether it be for your personal life as well. Yeah, I think probably one of the um, most utilized. I I have a strong like I I've, I've sort of worked in all kinds of making things. Like I I was formally trained in um, in tool and die making, which is kind of a sort of more downstream manufacturing um, process of sort of injection molding and, and mm-hmm. metal stamping dies and such. So I've been I've been trained with that, and I worked for many years in in for this engineering uh, group doing uh, mechanical prototyping, which is tends to be a lot looser, a lot faster. You know, you're kind of, uh, you're trying to kind of approximate things more so than like make something that is, you know, um, um, technically as precise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so one tool that I find that I use all the time is a laser cutter. It's probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't used one prior to getting to MIT and I was just astounded at how quickly you can mock things up um, uh, out of a paper or cardboard or foam core. Like you can, you can blast out concepts and iterate on them just so rapidly mm-hmm. um and that's really kind of the um i mean anyone in an innovation uh studio will tell you that like that iteration is the name of the game you know mm-hmm. so if you're if you're designing something and you can make 10 iterations on your way to developing this final product you know and you compare that to someone else who has has made like one iteration or two iterations and it's like this vastly different um, so what I love about that tool is, is the speed at which it works and just how versatile they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the, you got, do you guys have, I assume you have those in your facility? Yeah, we have, um, so we have one laser cutter in each of our, uh, different locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause we're starting in the spring, we're going to have three separate locations, one mm-hmm. here at UNT, uh, on the main campus where I'm recording from right now. Uh, the second one is our other location, which is at Discovery Park, which is the hub for engineering students. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is going to be at the uh, UNT campus over at Frisco. Nice. And so we we have those fantastic. Like, I love working with them. I love working on them. They're great. Yeah, and they're, they're easy to onboard. You know, I mean, I could teach you. I, I guess the, I guess the one skill set that you really need is, um, is being... Uh, having some fluency in some kind of design software. So whether you're using like SolidWorks or uh, Onshape or using uh, an Adobe uh, Illustrator or um, what we use CorelDRAW, which seems to be kind of a favorite in the laser um, laser realm for some reason. But um, if you are, if you can, if you know your way around that tool, then you can, you can blast things out so quickly. And uh, I love also that there's a lot of the 3d uh, modeling tools also now have, um, some functionality for uh, sort of like the sheet metal functionality where you can design something as uh, mm. solid and then unfold it, right. um, which is amazing. Uh, there's also some, uh, I know that Autodesk has a product 
let's say it's called slicer, but they allow you to take like a three-dimensional shape and then about like pretty complicated ones and mm -hmm. then unfold it um, such that you can um, use that software to drive, drive uh, the laser or a water jet or a CNC to then, you know, make this flat pattern and then, you know, refold that thing up. Right. But um, anyway, just sort of the complement of the, the 3D, sort of the generative 3D design tools, and then using those with this, you know, this digital cutting technology is really powerful skill set. And and I'll say that I kind of I kind of learned a little bit on the fly, but I would advocate strongly. Um, I later took a uh, I think it was a Lynda.com course, which is now LinkedIn Learning. But mm -hmm. there are a lot of great resources out there. I think it's like if you're interested in the space and you want to be prolific, um, it's worth spending a few hours investing your time in yourself to like really start to learn these tools and then. Um, yeah, I, I always love, uh, I'm a strong advocate for personal projects because mm -hmm. when you can um, strip yourself of all the constraints of trying to meet someone else's design requirements and you're just making something for fun or making something for yourself and where you know, like, when, when can I cut corners and when do I really care about mm -hmm. like, dimensional accuracy and repeatability and, you know, various other things. Um, I mean, that's really where you can sort of have fun and start to play around and, you know, sort of explore these tools more. But um, I always, uh, I always like to tell people this, you know, I encourage you to, take on this project, spend some time like using, working your way through tutorials and it just gives you enough fundamentals so that you can get up and running. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so my next question is, uh, what's the best thing that has happened to you since you started at Epic? Ah, the best thing. I think that you forwarded me that question. I don't know that I had an answer to it. Um, I might need to come back to that one, but I, I guess... Well, I, I guess I could answer that. I, I think one of the things that's surprising for me, not that people want to hear about me so much, but um, I don't think I, when I started the, the the work, I was clear that I was going to be leading a team of 16 lab assistants. Um, mm -hmm. And that was going to be kind of central to my to my role. Um, that, it turns out, has been so fun and so rewarding. Um, the uh, and, and part of it is because I, I get to, there's so much, there's a lot of people that flow through our lab. And so I get to sort of know these people a little bit more personally and sort of get to interact with them, you know, at, uh, not only for more time, but kind of like more intimately as we kind of do machine tool trainings and sort of teach them how to run the space. But, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I found that just like profoundly fun. And, and part of what is, is a little counterintuitive about that is that, you know, so I've sort of lived a lot of my professional life and so I've worked around people that know how to to be um sort of like good teammates like like uh, you'll find that when you work on projects with people i don't know if you have this experience with your parents but if you ever had to hold a flashlight for your mom yep. or dad yep. working on something like you learn these skills that people don't really teach you mm -hmm. like you know so um you know just just things like uh just the attention that you you place on something like when you're helping someone um uh we had us uh, was joking around with, with part of our team but um there's some things that, you, that people don't really describe to you, you know, so we'll have projects that happen in the lab and our, our, our lab assistants are there for two or three hours. And um, I found that a couple of times I'd ask people to do something and their, their priority is always safety and it's always caring for the people that come into the lab. But, you know, we have these side projects that we work on and, you know, for organization and whatnot. And um, a couple of times I'd ask someone to do something and they would take it with best intentions and then they get pulled off on something else and then they would disappear and they had a class to go to, so they would split. Yep. And then I would come into the lab and I'd see, oh, this is this thing half done, or I wouldn't even know if it was done. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of, uh, you know, we had a couple of team meetings where we were just saying, like, listen, guys, I want you to succeed in life. I want you to be, when you go to go to an internship, people should value the contribution you make. So just simple things like um, someone asks you to do something, like your mission is you need to understand what it is that they're asking. You need to understand when it is they need it by. 
Mm-hmm. If you get pulled off of it, that might be totally fine. But you got to loop back and say, hey, I know you asked me to do this. The expectation was to have it done here. I can't do it, but here's where I'm leaving it. I mean, that's all I need to do. Just right. kind of tie a bow around it or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anyway, so this is that communication piece, but but taking on a role of being sort of more mentorship, but also like in the spirit of like, I, I care about these people personally mm-hmm. and I want them to succeed. And I want them to have great internships that lead to fun jobs and, you know, work that um, is both like delightful, but also, you know, makes a makes a meaningful contribution in the world. So a lot of this is developing these life skills that some people just haven't had, especially coming out of the COVID times when we've all been living, you know, through screens. So um, mm-hmm. I guess I would say that sort of reflecting on that has been sort of one of my greatest experiences there, just kind of like trying to find um, find that sweet spot where I'm sort of administering things, but also have like a mentoring role and also trying to carve out time to build things. That, Absolutely. Um, it's all these things. So I just wish there was more time in the day. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> but um, my next question is, what is one of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in terms of how Epic is either functioning or you kind of touched on it with like the throughput of people. So what's yeah. the most difficult challenge you've had? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think I would return to that, to that throughput topic. Um, I think also, like I said, what I would add to that is, uh, and this is sort of a fun challenge, but also a challenge nonetheless is, um, uh, you know, so we've been trying to find onboarding projects for people. So they come here, they see all these amazing tools, but they've never used the, you know, hand tool before. So they don't know how to jump into it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been, um, we designed, uh, so part of our structure, we have a student advisory board for our lab, which is, which has been amazing. I, it's great. It seemed like a smart idea when I got here. I think it was kind of a new group to, to begin, but they, um, so they're a bunch of students that just happen to be passionate about the lab and are like kind of in touch with other people and, and maybe hear things that we don't hear. So mm-hmm. one of the things that they, um, advise us on was like, Hey, we need some projects for people to, if they come in here, they don't know what to do. We need to offer them something to do. That's like an easy onboarding point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we developed a couple of projects like that. And, um, and I guess I would say, so the, the challenge is, uh, and so then we developed, um, some literature to, to go along with them. And the intent was, uh, we have kind of a guided version. So I described the project, one of these projects. So one of them was a, a two-part maze the base of which was a, um, a piece of styrene and the project, and we had this, we already had a CAD file for this thing. So there's a base piece that is, imagine a, a solid piece of material that has a maze cut out in it. Mm-hmm. Ball bearing sits in there. Uh, and then there's a laser cut cover that goes on the top of this mm-hmm. thing. And then there's four holes in the corners for assembling this together. Mm-hmm. So relatively simple um, project. So one of our, our, our onboarding exercises was to invite people in and we're going to give them what we call kind of a guided tour. So in that they weren't really operating the machines, but we would spend um, about 10 minutes each station. So here's a here's a CAD station. We talk about everything that goes into designing this thing. Okay, here's our CAM station. So computer aided manufacturing. These are all the steps involved in designing tool paths, selecting tools. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to. I don't really want to teach you how to use it, but let me just show you how it works. Right. We're going to walk over to the milling machine. There's a 10 minute station there where we actually, you know, we put in a part, we set it in a fixture, we you know, bring in the program, we run the part, you know, so at the end of those, those, that series of stations, we have a part and then like a cooking show, we'd hand everybody one of these parts mm, right. and then they move on to the next station. All right, here's our laser station. Okay. What do you need to know about lasers? Here's a high level overview of lasers. These are our lasers, the software we use, 
you know, same thing. We'll make a part. Absolutely. And then we had a we had a third station that was a sort of hand tools assembly post operations. Mm-hmm. Here's taps and tapping threading systems. Here's where we find all these things in our lab. Let's do one together. I'll show you. And then here we have this part. And so it's a little like a cooking show. And then at the end of it, everybody kind of assembles one of these things by hand, but they haven't really made anything. So um, so that's the, that's the guided version. And then in as a companion and sort of follow up to that is, you know, we don't expect you to learn how to make these things here. We're just showing you that they can be made and just so that you know that it's it's accessible and that it's um, approachable. Right. We're approachable. Get to meet us, learn about our lab, et cetera. And then we had a guided version. And the guided version was, here's a book that we've made. It walks you through that step of programming the CNC mill. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it's, you don't have to know a lot about it. You can really just kind of flip through the pages and, and execute each of the steps that we described. Right. But at the end of it, um, we found that with people that hadn't used the tools before, it was about a two hours from the time that they sat down, walked through um, you know, our, our programming, um, find one of our, our lab assistants, and then actually go over to the machine and we would machine it with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so two hours to have that experience, but there it's like they're, they've got a little bit more sort of skin in the game. So they're actually, they've, they've actually gone through the process of programming this thing and they may or may not love mazes, but the, the invitation was really to say, Hey, if, um, now that you've seen how a maze happens now, you go design your own thing, come back in here. You, you walk through the process, you know, you have enough, um, information here to sort of get you started and then grab one of our team, you know, one of our team and we can sort of help you along the way. Right. So, um, so I describe that as a challenge is finding, you know, I like to say that like, we're not in the business, like we don't want to be publishing books. We don't want to be authoring books more than um, is necessary to kind of support like the educational objectives of our lab. Right. So it's hard to know. Uh, I said the challenge is really is like, what are the right kinds of projects and supporting materials um, to help our students kind of along the way. And so we've been experimenting a lot with that. And like the challenges, you know, some things seem a little bit too, book heavy i mean the, the internet is full of all this information so we could just say go see the internet and you could find what you want but right. really what what people want is really a, a curated sort of a a condensed curated list of resources that are specific to the projects they're working on and the tools mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. so therein lies a challenge right so what, right. what are the right things so that, that also has been quite fun um but uh i would i would put that in the challenge category as oh, well absolutely uh, my next question is, has being a part of Epic played a part in developing your own philosophies, whether they be professional or uh, personal? I think the, um, that's a good question. I, I think that the the big thing that I think about is um, it's kind of organizational schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that you guys experience this also, but whenever you have, uh, so philosophically, there are people have different ideas about how do we set up how do we uh, lay out a space? How do we organize our tools? What do we make available to people? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes because some of these tools are expensive and, and precious and they can be, they can be broken by someone who's well-intentioned, but doesn't, um, hasn't had a lot of experience with them. Right. Uh, sometimes it's people are absentmindedly just walking out with a screwdriver in their pocket and we, mm-hmm. you know, we need to kind of like curate this amount of stuff and however much we'd like to just sort of just out by the problem, um, you know, just by having like an infinite supply of these things, it's just not really very practical. Um, so I guess I'd say that one of the, just to respond to your question, um, I don't know if you've read uh, this book, uh, Every Tool is a Hammer by Adam Savage. Um, yes, yes, I have. Anyone, I mean, I'm sure anyone that's listening to a podcast about makerspaces knows about Adam Savage, but um, in it, he does a pretty nice reflection. He does this also in some of his, uh, his videos, but just about how do we organize tools so that they sort of support our making of things. Um, 
And so when I got to Epic, I discovered that a lot of things are kind of buried away in drawers. And mm. drawers are a nice way to keep a space tidy, but it makes it very difficult if you haven't been to a space before, like finding things. Right. So, um, so Adam talks a lot about, I think he refers to it as like sort of first order uh, organization where the things that you use most frequently are both close to you, but also they're exposed. So you want to go through as few steps as possible like reaching for that screwdriver. So if I have to go across the lab, you know, into another room, uh, find a chest of drawers, you know, open it and then grab the screwdriver as opposed to, you know, I know I'm going to be using a bunch of screwdrivers. So I'm going to wheel over a cart. I have this, it's got a bunch of things that are all like easily accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that at MIT, we had a, uh, we had some systems, we had classes that were, you know, 125 students coming in to use the space. And we right. had a system where, we just had a cart that was full of buckets and one bucket was full of hammers. One bucket was full mm. of needle you know, nose pliers. One bucket was full of, you know, vice grips, you know, so we just had these big buckets. And um, what I loved about that was that you walk over to this thing and you can immediately see everything. There was enough of them that you generally wouldn't see an empty bin and it, it worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we've been, I, I've been sort of reflecting on, you know, what of that do I try to bring to Epic? Like what kinds of those like organizational schemes and strategies um, do we bring in? Right. Um, so anyway, that's that's I guess that's sort of been I don't know if I've come to a conclusion there, but um, it's been fun to kind of play around with some of these things. And uh, I know when I arrived, one frustration that um, uh, some of our lab assistants had was that they'd have these tables and they thought, well, we should have a dedicated set of tools at each table. But then, how do we organize them? And do we leave them on top of the table? Do we put them in a drawer? Right. So we we spent the early part of the summer making these shadow. Um, called shadow boxes but basically like a, a cutout for all the tools that would accompany mm -hmm. that that table so each table had a tape measure and it had a couple of sharpies and it had a um had a uh had a square and it has a what else in there a couple of, yeah you know it's a variety of hand tools maybe a blade um but i, I find the problem with those anything that's in a drawer you, know, you never quite make it back there and however much you try to implement these systems that where people circle around and they're checking to make sure these things are there and we Try to have that an assignment for one of our shifts for our lab assistants. You know, those things, if they're not like visible, it's hard to really, you know, be track those things sometimes. Right. So, um, so my philosophy is is unfolding, but I I I really think I know that at home and um, MIT I sort of like the experience of having these things kind of like close at hand, maybe organized into kind of categories, mm -hmm. um, but but nearby. Um, and it's always this great question, right? There's there's a uh, in um, in supermarkets, they use an interesting term called uh, intelligent adjacency. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but it's this question of like, am I going to put the peanut butter next to the peanuts, or am I going to put the peanut butter next mm, to the jelly? Right. You know, and is it is it on an end cap where I can get to it easily when I'm near the door, or is it you know is it neatly organized in a place where all the nuts you know are together? Right. So, so I, I like the thinking of that. You know, so in in the context of a shop, you know, do I put my um, Phillips head screws next to my Phillips head screwdrivers or the screwdrivers living there, or are they, you know, all the fasteners together and then all the hand tools are together. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it probably depends on what, what people are building. Um, we, we had the benefit of my classes at MIT, whereas the people were all working on the same kinds of stuff. So we could make some intelligent choices about how to organize tools and what we could station near where people were using them. But, um, uh, BU is a different animal. So there's just a huge variety of projects. And so um, you have to think a little bit differently about it. So right. uh, anyway, this, this is one of the things I'm, I'm is 
it's a challenge, but it's also like so joyful because I just love workshops and I love thinking about this stuff. So I think that this summer um, I will have completed my first yearly cycle at VU. So that's what mm -hmm. we're going to do, sort of a deep dive and get into some projects that kind of address some of these topics more directly. All right. Uh, so my next question is, um, at Epic, when you encounter a problem that you can't solve right away, uh, what is the first thing you do to try and overcome that hurdle? Yeah, I, I will always look for an expert in my midst. Um, and if I don't have one close at hand, I'll, I'll reach out to someone in my network. Mm -hmm. So um, I have the good fortune of having uh, my colleagues. I have one who's uh, two really who are kind of machine tool experts, one of whom has you know 25 years in industry using all kinds of machine tools. Um, I have a material science expert on our team and I have a um, uh, kind of an automation expert on our team. And then our the director of our lab is kind of an expert in all things manufacturing. So I've got a pretty deep bench to pull from, but um, I never, uh, I mean, sometimes it's fun to kind of take a naive guess at how to solve a problem if you're, if you're struggling with it. But um, I think my default is always to find someone who's an, who's an expert. And, and I, I lean into that in industry a lot too, right? It's important to have like, um, you can't be an expert in everything. And it's mm -hmm. always fun to find that person that is an expert in, um, in, uh, in something that you care about, but that isn't like in the middle of your, your zone. Right. Yes. Yeah, so we, we had, uh, I used an example. We had um, some friends at a place called the Bolt Depot. If you haven't seen some of their resources, uh, I don't know if you're into fasteners at all. And I say that kind of lovingly and jokingly because it seems like sort of a nerdy thing to be into, but these guys, um, I was drawn to them years ago. I, I came across some of their, they developed these really beautiful posters related to different kinds of fasteners and understanding mm -hmm. all the different, the drive styles, the material selection, the thread profile, like all these things. Right. So, so anyway, I have a colleague over there um, who uh, I'll reach out to on occasion who just happens to uh, to be an expert and is like super passionate about fasteners, like above all else. Like it's probably like, you know, first is like his faith, then is his family, then his fasteners, something like that. <laughs> it's just tri triple F. But um, he, uh, last time I called him, I had sort of a silly question um related to fasteners and i we were doing a i was doing a demo um sort of leaning into some of their materials and i asked a question when i called him up and he was at a fastener convention in las vegas which i thought was amazing oh. um, just because i think like it's you know who would believe that there's fastener conventions you know it seems like kind of a like a very uh, niche niche thing but very niche anyway, to there be people, sure there, there are people that are experts in all things and i encourage anyone who's listening to this to like you know have a deep bench of, of people who you know and who care about all these different things absolutely and so one of my second to last question i have for you is what is one thing that people tend to not realize about epic yeah i mean the big thing for us locally is that it so it is the engineering product innovation center um so people think it's all about engineering but, but really um since i've 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 been there i think in it through, throughout its history but you know, I, I really care a lot about this, um, that we're just really trying to bring in like a broad, we're trying to make it clear to the to the BU community that we're really open to everybody. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of art students that come in to use our technology. We have, um, uh, we have a lot of biomedical students. Um, there are, um, you know, I, I really think that people do better work when there's a lot of kind of cross-pollination across teams. Uh, I sort of learned that from my days in, in um, innovation, but um it's really awesome when you have like if you're working on a project to have like a you know an engine mechanical engineer an electrical engineer industrial designer you know and a you know i don't know user experience person all at the table so you can kind of 
exchange ideas and think about things. So we've been really trying to cultivate a culture that is like kind of welcoming and open and getting people in there working on all different kinds of projects, not just mm -hmm. engineering those projects. Um, I think that people find like greater interest in in the work they're doing and they see other people working on things that sort of catch them by surprise. And um, I think at the end of the day, that's really a big part of our mission, right? We just mm -hmm. want people to be curious. We want them to be um, experimental. We want them to be like, you know, using things safely, of course, but um, it's really like just trying to instill that sense of like natural curiosity. And um, it's really uh, trying to facilitate you know, that kind of, that kind of culture. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think that comes in part from having like a diverse like series of projects there. So, um, Absolutely. so that's, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Okay. And so my last question I have for you is what is the one best piece of advice you have ever been given either professionally or personally? Yeah, I think, I mean, something that, that, that comes to me when you say that is just the idea of, of doing what you love. Like my, mm. my dad always told me that and says, make sure that whatever you do, that you're doing something that you love. Um, and I say that knowing that it's somewhat of a luxury, not everybody can you right. know, find meaningful work that can care for your family, mm -hmm. you know, and it's also something that you love. I mean, how amazing is that? But, um, I think especially if you're earlier in your career, you probably have a lot more, uh, a lot more choice about the kind of work that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think for, for us in our facility also, like we were encountering people that are, I mean, of course they're early in their career, right. They haven't yet finished college yet. And, um, but even within that, like some people have selected engineering as a discipline, but within that, there's all different kinds of um, different areas that you could you could dive into. Um, and so I think the challenge is sort of like is is sort of trying to identify what are the things that really make my heart sing that like really make me get me excited. Um, you know, how do I find like kindred spirits that are working on the kinds of projects that really kind of get me mm -hmm. Get me, get me excited. So um, that'd be my advice to anybody really is, you know, find work that you can love, you know, and, and acknowledging that that is, that is a bit of a luxury, but I will say that I've, I'm, you know, I've, I've count my blessings every day. I've, I've found work that I love. I'm in a beautiful facility. I've got a great team. Um, I always feel like there's a lot of work to do to make it, you know, I always feel like I'm always trying to make it better than it is, but just being, you know, taking time every now and again to pause and just um, express some gratitude for, you know, uh, good fortune I have to be in such good company. It's Absolutely. Great. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining us today, Tasker. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Wonderful. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And um, best to everybody. Hope you all have a happy new year. Hope we all have a happy new year. And with that, this has been the UNT MindSpark podcast with your host, Jerry Johnson. Joining me today was Tasker Smith from Epic over at Boston University. I hope you have a great rest of your evening.